0: You are listening to Bethany Radio. Our content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLloyd Before we get started, we're going to cover uh, some questions that we've that have come up in terms of our what we've been going through in the Constitution, and so rather than have me speaking all the time, uh, Milt's going to tackle some of those uh, this morning, and then we'll, we'll uh, preach on the next article. So a few questions on, on that.
1: So the questions, some questions were asked, um, and I think I, I think I think Mike answered one of these questions uh, last week or the week before in regarding to the, uh, the current Constitution. There are copies available. Um so, just if you would like one to review as far as what what it was is currently and um, then another question is was will those that believe in the free will of man to respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting in regards to salvation and daily decisions be allowed to be a member of Bethany Bible Church um, I'm going to divert just a minute because. The history of this constitution d- did not originate with Mike, and I think one of the one of our goals in the time that that we were without a pastor was to was to work this, get this uh, accomplished, so that it wouldn't be hung on somebody's, you know, well that pastor did that thing or whatever. Um, the goal in a good constitution is so that no matter who is who's uh, in leadership, no matter who's the pastor, that that the the church stays even it doesn't it doesn't blow this way and that way by just who happens to be um in the place of leadership so i mean you know some good news i won't always be in a place of leadership so you can look forward to that but in the day that you know regardless there's there's uh, th- there needs to be in place good um good guidelines so i guess i'm sidelining just to say that's why uh, our sidetracking just that's why i'm i'm glad to to answer some of these questions too is that we uh, this is not Mike's, uh, it's not Mike's baby. It's not Mike's campaign. This is, uh, this is something we've been working on for a long time and we've been careful with it. So um, anyway, the back to the question is, um, would, would those who believe that the free will of man to respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting uh, be allowed to be a member of Bethany Bible Church? I don't think there's anything in the constitution that we're proposing that indicates we, there's some mandate of what. Of what you would need, you know, as far as, but I would say, um, I would say that it, it's it's not going to be a um, a clear cut. It's not a, a cut and dried yes, but uh, but most likely, uh, it would depend cl- uh, clearly on. We we would need to know clearly what your view of regarding the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and the condition of man's heart and how you interacted and and partnered uh, In the ministry goals within bethany bible uh, leadership ephesians uh, she, Ephesians 4 uh, 1 through 3 um, we, we we wouldn't want to be um, setting ourselves up for um, Division and, and challenges and a and a in a tug of war so Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So again, uh, I would say there's not a mandate that you have to believe um, in the free that you can't believe in the free will of man to respond. But what you, I guess what you did with that and how you interacted um, would, would need to be, you know, we need to understand that. Um, the next question was, if a person wants to be a member of both Bethany Bible Church and a, a previously attended church, will they be allowed to be members at both locations? Um, I think think the answer would be no um as far as what what we're proposing as membership um it it this question sort of indicates a, a confusion as to what membership is membership is a commitment it's um, not to be taken lightly uh, much like marriage relationships of a husband and wife um we're, we're not skipping here and there with our time and energy and and other uh, resources uh, on page seven if you have the constitution on page seven um we we address the um uh, the commitments of the covenant with with Bethany, and about the fifth uh, line or paragraph down there, is it says we will use our spiritual gifts for the common good of Bethany Bible Church, serving regularly and sacrificially in the Spirit and power of Christ. Um, we can be committed to multiple things. Um, you know, you can, I can be you know committed to my wife. I can be committed to a job. Uh, to my church family I can be committed, and to my Savior I can be committed. But I can't be committed to two wives. I can't be committed to two jobs equally. Uh, I can't be committed to two to church families. Um, take, for example, special season uh, seasons and, and events. Um, you know, can I, Could I be a, a, a committed member to two churches um, and say, uh, I'm available for whatever you need, Uh, This Christmas season for the program, whatever you need, I'm there. Um, I couldn't say that to two churches and be able to to honor that commitment. So um, I I believe that that we we cannot be members you know, considered active members of two churches in in the meaning of membership as a commitment to. um, To a local church and. With our time and, and energies. The second, the second, or the, this last question is, I think, kind of ties together, uh, as I see it, is it is my belief that God has given individual gifts, talents, and desires for ministry opportunities. Those talents are to be used to serve Him. Should a person choose not to be a member of Bethany Bible, will that person be allowed to serve the Lord in areas God has gifted that person for ministry? Um. In other words, like Sunday school teacher, children's uh, ministry leader, music leader, music team, uh, women's Bible study leader. Um, again, I guess I would, I would uh, uh, say we, we wouldn't take a hard and fast no, but it would, it would need to be clearly understood the reason for not wanting to be uh, a member. Um, but the potential for strife and division uh, I think could be pretty high if if the, if the, depending again on the reason you wouldn't want to be a member but you still want to serve um, there must you know there must be something that needs to be understood as to as to what prevents you from being a member um, in in mark th- 3 32025 20, uh, the scribes had had accused Jesus in his in his earthly ministry and the things he was doing that he was um, possessed by Beelzebul, uh, that the prince of demons was casting out demons, and Jesus said that a, a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand, a house divided itself against itself cannot stand. So, if we, if, if there's something about Bethany that says. And, and membership and that I do not want to be a member of the, I, I I do not want to align myself with that I do not want to commit to that I am not um, I don't trust the leadership whatever the whatever the reason is I I, I see that as a very obvious um, challenge to uh, to 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 biblical progress and, and biblically doing what the church is supposed to be doing in the community um, again you know God's not a God of of confusion he's a god of order and so he's that he has structure and and plans and and the church needs to be within those boundaries or it's going to be um it's going to be chaos so i guess um it's good questions they're they're all good questions and there's uh one one more concern was was um uh expressed that why are we doing this right now i mean why isn't there isn't there a chance that um, that the, the The wonderful message of God's love at Christmas time could be lost with um, uh, working on this constitution and preaching on this constitution the church is is Christ and I, I think there's a possibility that s-, that some view the church kind of like we view the United States of America uh, United, the United States of America this nation um, Chose to to set themselves apart and and honor God and and create a country that its founding fathers intended would serve God. Um, the church is not a man made institution. It's not something that man came up with. Um, you know, I, I hear this this great God and we want to serve Him and let's let's get together and no, He. His his death on the cross, his provision ushered in the church, brought it made the new era of the church, the new covenant. And Jesus said that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Um, this blood-bought church, as uh, Acts 20.28 20, refers to, if there was not christmas if there was not emmanuel god with us in the flesh in the blood there would be no blood to shed to redeem his church christmas is all about the church and if we if we overlook that if we say well this is just church stuff and this is god's love stuff over here no it, they're tied tightly together so this doing doing um what creating a a guideline with what this constitution is for the the um, protection of of what god intends and i know there's probably someone thinking right now well does god need us to protect his church no he doesn't but he has called and raised up leaders to do that job and he's the builder it's his plans. He's given us his word. I, I I think we need to. I think we need to follow it. So, um, I guess that's all I have to say. But I uh, I pre- appreciate the opportunity to address those. So, thank you.
0: Thank you, Milt, for taking those and others as you have them. Uh, we still got the box in the back. If you have questions, things you want um, addressed, what questions you had that come up, put them in there. So we're we're looking there as well. So thank you for doing that. Thanks for asking. And be in prayer. Be in prayer as we go through this for our church body. Um, you know, we've titled this series "Through the Constitution Together for the Glory of God." That's really what, as we think about membership, as we think about this whole process is that we would be together, that we would shine the light not only to one another, but to uh, the community that we're in. So I invite you to take the word of God before you, uh, open to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 6, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, and I'm going to read through uh Chapter seven, verse one. We do have a picture from last week with uh, Weston still here. Weston, here's here's his picture from last week. Weston had the guy on the left uh, helping fix a flat tire, and then all of a sudden, the Lord took this guy uh, to heaven. He's kind of in the yellow there, but he gave. He said Jesus gave him a coat and went to heaven. And we talked about Christ and his uh, getting to heaven based on our relationship with Christ. And so, thank you, Weston, for. Turned that in last week. Appreciate that. So, all right, let's let's look into God's Word uh, as we begin on Article Eleven of the Constitution here on, on church discipline. So let's read Second Corinthians six fourteen. It says, "Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness?" And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Let's go to him again in prayer. Lord, we just ask again, as we look through the various scriptures, as we think about biblical church discipline, even at this time of year, Lord, I uh, can feel quite cold, even to my own heart. Why are we covering this? But Lord, I pray we would see the, the, uh, the light shining through here, Lord, of your glory, your restoration of the wayward soul, and uh, the great hope of Christ for the wayward sinner, and our part as a church in guiding wayward sinners back to the cross of Christ again. So, Lord, be glorified in our time. Use these meager words of mine and use Your Word by Your Spirit to impact our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're looking at Article 11 of our proposed Constitution. We have two more. I'm uh, speaking today, and then Brandon's going to preach next week on uh, church finances. Thought He's he's the treasurer's good guy to, to, to cover that, and so you can look forward to that. Um, but this week it's on discipline. It's on page, I believe it's page 11 of, of uh, what you have before you. Again, if you don't have them, there's copies in the back. Uh, I make a few more every other week or so, so they're there um, and use those. Yeah, page 11. Well, any of you have had the pleasure, and that's a, that's a word to use, the pleasure of raising children, you understand the idea, you understand it well of discipline. In fact, discipline done rightly, it's just what we uh, as parents, it's what we're to do to raise up our kids in the fear and instruction of the Lord. But there can be two different ways that we approach discipline. One is methodical, you know, thought through. Our children know in advance. They know the expectations, the consequences for a certain act. And then there's the other kind of discipline, kind of that, and we are all, I'll just put my line, and all guilty of that kind of discipline, the kind of shotgun I didn't want you to do that. Well, they had no idea, but that's stop that. Don't do that, that sort of thing. They just don't know what's expected. It's in our minds, not in theirs. It's kind of that reactionary type of discipline. How much better does it go when, when there's an agreement and we understand before the uh, altercation, whatever, what, whatever takes place, before that sin takes place, we understand here's the consequence, here's what's going to happen. Um, if you go through with this. It's agreed upon in advance. And I think we would agree both parties, though emotions are going to run high, they benefit from expectations laid out uh, in advance. That's what we're doing when we're referring to church discipline in this Constitution. What we envision, what we desire, is that these steps of discipline, the purpose, the ways, they're spelled out in advance, well before anything's going on so that we... And the church member are on the same page of, well, you know this was going to happen. This was all spelled out. This is the direction. It holds leadership. It holds us as a body accountable to how to step and biblically walk down the road of discipline. So we look at this first section on general policy. It lays out just the foundation. So let me read that to us under general policy here. All members of the body of Christ have an individual responsibility to live righteously and to encourage righteous behavior in other members of the body. This process begins with self-examination and awareness of one's own sins, personal repentance, and efforts to reconcile with offended believers. The idea in this section, it's really two things. One of our individual responsibility to live righteously and then to encourage others in this as well. I began reading here from 2 Corinthians 6. And, and as we think about this whole idea of living righteously, you saw in verse 14 through 15, we often associate this with, with uh, dating or desire, those desiring marriage. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And that's true and that's good and appropriate. But it's not all that's here. So yes, there's not being unweekly yoked. What fellowship as light with darkness? All these sorts of things. But look down at that last verse I read. It begins, starts in chapter 7. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. You see what promises Paul's referring to here? It's promises way up in, in verse 16. Talked about what agreement? The temple of God with idols. For we are the temple of the living God. And here's what God said. I will make my dwelling among them. I will walk among them. I'll be their God. And they shall be my people. How are his people then to live? These people where God is their God. and He dwells among them. They're to live, as chapter 7 verse 1 says, in holiness, in fear of God. So the call here is for people saved by God's grace to then live lives in righteousness and holiness, cleansing themselves from every defilement of body and spirit. In essence, live out in your own lives, you, the people that have been bought by the blood of Christ, live it out. You're in Christ, now live that out in your life. We have a problem, though, when it comes to sin and we're uh, easily... Uh, deceived. Paul Tripp talks about our need for one another. One of the DVD series we watched, he said, "Your, commu- your uh, walk with God is a community project that we need one another to show us." He Tripp talks about uh, physical blindness in, so- in a lot of ways being much better, though it's it's not good. Don't hear me saying that, but it's much better than even spiritual blindness. He says, "At least, at least with physical blindness, you know you're blind. You know that you have." These limitations and you need help. Spiritually blind, you don't know, and you just go about thinking uh it says something to the effect of, you know, no one speaks better of you than yourself. You know, I'm I'm doing fine, I'm doing well. And though there's days maybe where we think, well, I'm not so good, especially when someone comes along and says, Hey, there's an area to work on in your life. We go, I don't want to be told that. But and we're blind to these. He says this, quote, Sin is ultimately deceptive and deceives 10 out of 10 people. So we need others around us. That's the idea that we're looking at in terms of discipline. So turn now. We're going to go to a couple places. We looked at the general. Now, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. We want to live lives of holiness. We, we're not saved by that, but we live in light of who we are in Christ Head to Hebrews chapter 12. Wonderful passage on this idea of discipline. The author of Hebrews, he's looking at Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. He's endured the cross by looking to Jesus, the believer, is to not grow weary. And then he begins to address the struggle of the believer against remaining sin. Look at verse uh, 5. He says, and have you, I'll read through 11 here. Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful. We agree, yes, right. Rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Peaceful fruit of righteousness. It's for those trained by discipline. They're trained in following Christ. Discipline, it's for their good. It's not for harm. It demonstrates we're legitimate children, sons of God. It demonstrates rarely, rather than God's judgment, it demonstrates His love for a wayward child. So look in the Constitution here under the purpose. What's the purpose of it? It says every disciple of Christ must be under his discipline, which is administered to each believer personally through his church. Mutual submission to one another and the overseers whom the Lord has appointed over His church will result in the unity and sanctification of the whole body. And there's numerous verses you can look there at. So here's the emphasis. It's on unity, sanctification, holiness of the whole body, believers, the church. Every disciple... You might, what's the word disciple? It's, it's a learner or a follower. Every disciple is under his discipline. The same same roots there of, of both words. Disciple, discipline, this, this idea of learning, following, training, instruction. When we pray, Lord, teach me to follow your ways, we're, we're in a sense asking God, discipline me to follow you. I want, Lord, show me how to follow you. Discipline me that I might follow you. That ought to be at the heart of every one of us believers. And yet it starts back where we've been singing about today at the cross, where Isaiah 53.5 talks about Jesus uh, taking on, it says in Isaiah 53.5, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His stripes we're healed. In other words, That word for chastisement in in the Greek can be the same word used here for discipline. The discipline that brought us peace was upon Him. That's where we start in this whole idea of discipline and growing in in, uh, fear of God and walking in holiness. It's got to start at the cross, for Christ was punished on our behalf. There is no waywardness that one cannot repent and turn from. To the blood bought forgiveness of the Lord Jesus. So, really, to the wayward sinner, and that's what we're talking about, the wayward member that says, I'm a member and I'm going this way, and we're coming after maybe as another member or another uh, church believer or the or the elders and leadership, we're coming after, saying, Come back. And one of the first things we're saying, come back to the gospel, come back to Christ, repent. It's not a not just a gospel of God loves you and kind of on your way, hope it goes well. It's God loves you and the full gospel says God hates the sin that you're involved with. He hates the sin you're in love with. The gospel call, it's to turn from your waywardness, repent and cling again to the foot of the cross. That's where, what all of us need. Here's what John Bloom says in regards to this repentance, that turning around. As we think about discipline, he says the very fact that repentance is possible because of what Jesus has done for us in the cross is astoundingly wonderful news. The call to repent is a call not to have our shame exposed and bear God's stern frown on us. It's a call to return by the grace of God to the place of greatest hope and fullest joy. When we go to one another and we say, dear brother, dear sister, you're in this sin, when the church gathers as a whole and say you're in sin, it's not, it's not condemnation time to say, yep, kick them and get them out there. It's to say, oh, you're missing. Turn your love from that sin back to the Savior. Again, it's a call. It's an arm around to say, come back. Sometimes it might feel like more than an arm, but it's to come back. And so it asks for that member to submit to one another. And the overseers, for unity for sanctification of the whole body. Well, as we move on now to the next section in our constitution on corrective discipline, here's what Jonathan Lehman, he's wrote a book on church discipline. Uh, he's written this on the difference between formative discipline and corrective discipline. He says this, formative discipline helps to form the disciple through instruction. Corrective discipline Helps to correct the disciple through correcting sin. We're correcting sin. So you hear it as corrective discipline, correcting sin. Look back at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Go there to read this. 1 Corinthians 5. And Paul here has a strong admonishment for the church at Corinth to correct something. I'm gonna go ahead and read verses 1 through 13. 1 Corinthians 5. He says to that church, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. Here's the key. With anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you whole passage, it's a call of Paul to their Corinthian church to take purity and honoring Christ the Savior seriously. This last phrase about purging the evil comes even from Deuteronomy 13, that that those people that would come, come among the people of God, Israel in the Old Testament, they would lead them astray from worshiping and glorifying and honoring their God and lead them astray. They're saying, purge that evil person from among you. So God's glory is at the heart of dealing with sin amongst us. It's for the fame of His name and His glory. Otherwise, our discipline is just self-motivated. It's just of the flesh. I don't like how you're doing that. I don't like this. I don't like that. It's It's that the name of God may be honored amongst us. So let's read this section on corrective discipline, having that in mind says, corrective church discipline becomes necessary when either heretical doctrine or disorderly and immoral behavior, as biblically described, is discovered within the membership of the church. The principles given in Scripture should be appropriately applied as is necessary and biblically warranted. Therefore, efforts must be made toward the offending party to bring them to repentance through private counsel, admonition and rebuke, prior to more serious steps such as involvement of the elders and or church. The purpose of these actions is to bring glory to God, maintain the purity of Christ's bride as church, warn other members of the dangers of sinful behavior and the spiritual restoration of the offender through godly repentance. When is corrective discipline necessary? Probably more often than we think, but... Not all of it is a public dragging out of all the sins of the past week. And think of it this way. When two believers, you and another believer, are in a conversation, and one gently corrects the other and says, well, it sounds like gossip. It sounds like you're slandering the other person. And that person says, oh, oh, you're right. It's corrective discipline. It's taken place in that, even that private setting. And so there's this idea of the private counsel well before any serious steps of bringing in uh, witnesses or the elders and or the church. All of this, you know, what sin is corrective, how far, where do we go? It calls for wisdom and grace and discernment as to what needs to be disciplined before more serious steps are taken. Again, the author uh, Jonathan Lehman points out the need to, on the one hand, you weigh the sin against the repentance of the individual involved in the sin. Do you sense that there's a repentant heart? I don't think it needs to go further, but if it's, yeah, I don't care. I'll keep doing it. You know, it doesn't matter. That's where you kind of, okay, there's more steps need to be taken. And again, here's where meaningful church membership plays a role even in this idea of discipline. Membership carries with it that affirmation from the church. That says, yes, this one is in Christ. Hear me correctly. As church does not save them. We don't don't pronounce salvation on them. But we do affirm them and say, we see the fruit. We hear your testimony. We're watching you. We can affirm you as a member of the body of Christ. The question in the case of church discipline is whether the one involved in the sin, do they exhibit and demonstrate a heart bound to Christ? A heart turning from sin, turning to the Lord. So... Kind of sum it up where genuine repentance is lacking, corrective discipline progresses to the more serious steps described here. Because the church has said, We we see you as a member, we see you as a member of the body of Christ. If you're disregarding God's word, that, that's a problem. That's not a good thing. Well, should those efforts at calling a believer to repentance fail, then the last step of calling one to repentance is before the gathered church. Uh, it's the next page there. Page twelve on public reproof. Let me just say these are not things that we take want to take lightly or say we're going to do this all the time. This is serious stuff. And we want to be prayerful and in wis- and wisdom as a church body, as a leadership body of these efforts. And so let me read this part. It says, Public Reproof, this is a pastoral effort and last step before the gathered church to call an unrepentant member to repentance. The elders may administer this course of action whenever public misconduct, patterns of sin, or serious doctrinal error would threaten the unity, peace, and purity of the church. Those who then repent and confess their sins will be publicly commended for their godly repentance. So the elders, by prayer, seeking God's wisdom, administer this when the unity, peace, and purity of the church are threatened. It's why I believe, again, kind of that idea of discipline, expectations, it's why we need this clear statement of what we believe, a clear constitution A clear covenant of one another that says we're going to do this. We're going to hold to this. So that we're not dependent on the emotions of the day or new leadership or this sort of thing, the latest trends of an elder. But there's an objective document that everybody sees we've agreed to and say this is how we're going to live in light of the gospel, in light of who we are in Christ. So we want to guard against unnecessary turmoil. And I think one of the ways is having it clearly laid out. Proverbs 28.13, we don't need to go there for time's sake, but I'll just read it. It says this, in regards to even a public type of reproof and this desire for repentance, Proverbs 28.3 says, "...whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy." This is a great Verse. I hope you're putting this into practice besides the constitution conceal don't conceal open confess that's the idea of of this in the public here without repentance confession there is not prospering confessing forsaking you find mercy those that repent they're to be celebrated and brought back into the fellowship but those who respond poorly again, these are just slow methodical steps, prayerful steps towards this next one called excommunication. Let's look at let's look at that. Excommunication. When a church member remains in unrepentant sin, he or she will be cut off from the fellowship of the believers. The elders should make every effort first to bring such a one to true repentance. That's a call on the elders. It's a call on every one of us. Oh, dear brother, sister, turn, turn, turn. So this is really the last formal step of church discipline. After all efforts, personal interaction, public interaction have failed. Somebody's in sin, they've still not repented. They've still not turned and say, I see no problem, I'm fine. But at this point, it's the duty of the elders to cut off such a one from the fellowship of the believers. But we want to ask, what does that mean? That can mean lots of different things. Go with me to the book of Matthew. A little bit to the left, Matthew 18. Perhaps the most familiar passage on dealing with sin in the church, a brother's offense and what to do and the progressive nature of the response to that. In Matthew 18.15, I'll read through 20. This just kind of sums up the the process here. Uh, Matthew 18.15, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, between you and him alone. If If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, there's the unrepentance, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you Agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. They'll be to you, not repenting, a Gentile tax collector. What we're saying here in terms of excommunication, when this person became a member of the church, we all agree, we said this one's a follower of Christ. Again, we don't say, but we can affirm the salvation of an individual. But when that individual persists in unrepentant sin, we can no longer affirm this. We don't declare them, you're unsaved, but we just say we can't affirm you as a believer in the Lord Jesus because your actions don't bear fruit to to who you should be. So fellowship in terms of believer to believer, it's to be cut off. You might ask, what does this mean? It Uh, doesn't mean what may come to mind maybe in more of an Amish community, this type of shunning, we speak no words. But rather the ministry, like is here, a Gentile tax collector, the ministry to this person begins with now gospel proclamation. We We would welcome here even unbelievers to come into this place to hear the word of God preached that they may respond to the gospel. But we would discourage them, and in this case, this excommunicate, discourage from taking communion, for there is not union when somebody's in unrepentant sin. We say we we can't affirm your place in Christ. Your actions go against what you're saying. Practically, this even means our relationships with them changes. Even as we meet them on the street, we can be friendly, and yet to act in ways member to member in you know, fellowship dinner home it it t- it needs to take on a different flavor a flavor of calling one to repentance not of ah oh, yeah that, that happened and kind of th- there's a certain sense of soberness to the relationship of that one to say hey brother you see him at the post office. i, I see you hi hey how are you doing i'm praying for you that sort of thing caring for them reaching out to them pleading for them to return to the truth. By way of summing up, let me just offer four kind of practical benefits of exercising church discipline as we close here. Some benefits. Number one, of course, restoration of the wayward believer. This is what differentiates church discipline from public shaming and judgment. We've seen it this week. Hannah brought it to my attention while we were talking about the celebrities and what's happened with some of the sexual misconduct, all these sorts of things. I'm not supporting what's gone on uh, at all. But but there's a quick rush to say, mm, this one out, this one out. Some evidence, some maybe not. We don't know. It'll probably all come out in time, but we we don't see it all. And it's kind of there's just a feeling of, well, who's the next one to go? You know, you check the news. Yep, they're gone too. They're gone. They're gone. That's not to be the idea of church discipline. It's not, oh, they're gone, they're gone. It's to restore back to the Gospel, back to repentance. It's the idea of restoration. It's to say, come back, return, and repent for your good, the glory of God. So the Gospel, it's all about, we need to call sin what it is. and rebe- It is rebellion against the holy and righteous God. We need to call others to repentance and turn to His grace. And so that's at the heart of discipline. So we hear that that word discipline, we want to think, call them back to Christ. Number two, it's a warning for others in the church. Church discipline says we take seriously the God whom we worship in grace and truth. We want to have a right fear of the Lord. We want to hold to His word. We want to warn others, brother, sister, this type of action, If you claim to be a follower of Christ, it is not okay. Can he forgive? Yes, but it's not okay to continue in that. It's to be repentant. Number three, very practical one, uh, preventing lawsuits for our church. If you've thought about this that way, uh, Ken Sandy says this, the same guy that helped with the, the brochure last week we gave out on conflict resolution, he said this, terms of church discipline and what we're doing with this constitution. He said one of the most effective ways to prevent such lawsuits is to adopt explicit biblical policies that comprehensively describe how your church will exercise discipline over unrepentant members. These policies will provide your church with one of the most effective defenses to any lawsuit, informed consent. Maybe some of you more you know more legal words and all that sort of thing, he says, goes on to say this, to secure this defense, a church needs to be able to prove to a court that the person complaining of a wrong was in fact fully aware of the church's policies and procedures and knowingly agreed to be bound by them. Here again is the value of church membership. That we agree. We're all in agreement. We're bound to church discipline. In the case, if it's necessary in my life, I've made an agreement. I've said, It may not go that well, but that's what I've I've said. This is what I expect. And it provides that type of expectation, that kind of clear, before anything is happening, that expectation. Well, the last one, number four, that we not only preach the Gospel, the good news of salvation in Christ, through faith alone, by God's grace alone, but we uphold the holiness of God, that our lives reflect His glory. The world is watching as we proclaim we worship God on a Sunday morning. Do we worship Him in the rest of our lives? Church discipline says to those watching, we take seriously the call to live for and imitate our Lord and Savior. It's for the glory of God. So the gracious call of church discipline is to return again to the Son of God. Born for you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It's the good news. It's the great joy. We proclaim to our own wayward hearts and to the wayward heart of one in whom the church is to discipline. God's gracious call of repentance, it's not undue punishment, but it's a call to come. Come to the only one who can forgive. And He calls you to forsake all of this world for His glory. Let me pray for us. Lord, it is. that's a hard topic. Discipline doesn't sound fun in the least. And yet, Lord, uh, it's for Your glorious purposes, again, another gift of Your body of Christ to turn the wayward heart back to You. Lord, we thank You for this gift. Help us to see it that way. Lord, help us to not see it as mere punishment, even Lord, your own discipline in our lives, may we see it, may we say we're legitimate children of God because you're you're disciplining us, you're challenging us for for the purpose to come back and say, Lord, we need you, we need the cross, that we boast in the cross alone. So Lord, may we be a church that that holds one another accountable. And Lord, there's so many ways we in our sinful flesh can get this wrong, and do it wrong. Lord, I pray we. You would work in us to have these motives, motives of restoration, motives of care and love, because that's how you care and love for us in your discipline. Or guide us in these things. Guide us as a church, we pray. In the name of
1: Jesus, amen.